Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, sponsored by Visient. I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor for Health Leaders. Today, we're excited to welcome Madeline McDowell, MD, FAAP, Principal and Medical Director for SG2, a Visient company. Maddie leverages a decade of clinical experience in leading the development and application of SG2's data analytic tools and providing clinical insight for all SG2 research, including service line, strategic planning, performance strategy, and clinical technology. Board certified in pediatrics, Maddie spent more than 10 years in clinical practice, including serving as a hospitalist at Boston Children's Hospital and a faculty member of Harvard Medical School. She was a past clinical advisor for the Children's Hospital Association and a keynote speaker at its annual meetings. As medical director at SG2, she provides thought leadership in quality in collaboration with experts across the Visient and SG2 organization, and she partners with member health systems as a strategic advisor and healthcare industry expert in market strategy, quality, and analytics. Maddie, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Understanding clinical demand and how it's changing is critical for planning quality and cost initiatives and allocating resources. Effective and sustainable change requires a deep reservoir of data, evidence, process engagement, and expertise. Maddie, first, can you tell us about, you know, some of the big changes that happened during the pandemic? Some of them were just for the short term, but others are permanent. What is not going back to the way that it was? This is a really great question and a very important one. Um, we've spent a lot of time at SG2 thinking about this and trying to understand it better. Um, there certainly are some things that are permanently changed, and I'm going to list a few of the most important ones. Um, during the pandemic, we saw a focus on patient safety and shifting care to settings for safety reasons and access reasons that uh, are forever changed. So for example, the shift in accelerated shift, I should say, in surgeries from the inpatient to the outpatient occurred during the lockdown, uh, particularly for musculoskeletal conditions, ortho, joint replacements. Um, while that trend was happening prior to the pandemic, it dramatically shifted um, during this time period and that will not revert back. Um, we will see a small proportion of joint replacements being performed in the inpatient setting for, for those high-risk patients. But in general, joint replacements um, will be performed outpatient and in the ASC. Another important change that happened that, that is likely not to revert back is the reduction in the utilization of skilled nursing facilities. So we saw the movement towards shifting those patients to home. So if they were being discharged from the hospital, um, setting up more intensive home care services. Uh, originally, this was because there was really just no access to SNF and it was really creating bottlenecks in terms of hospitals being able to discharge patients, as well as safety issues in SNF around COVID. Um, but what has happened is this notion of sniff at home, so being able to do the skilled nursing portion of the episode of care at home with um, nurse visits, um, PT, OT visits, a little remote monitoring, and physician oversight. That is also being done to reduce length of stay in sniff, so shorter length of stay in sniff to get those patients home. 
another important permanent shift is virtual. And everybody has been talking about this and has experienced this firsthand in the healthcare system, which is we um, went from less than 0.005% of all visits being virtual to about 55, 60% being virtual in the lockdown. Um, over time, as things began to open up, we've seen the reversion back to in-person visits. However, we're still seeing significantly higher numbers of virtual visits than pre-pandemic. It's about 12% now of all physician practice visits are virtual. And that's not including the um, other vendors that are outside of physician practices that are supplying virtual visits as well, which, which is a significant number. So we expect to see with payment continued through 2023 beyond the, the PHG and CMS really committed to virtual visit payment in some form that we'll continue to see virtual visit as a very important access point for our patients. Another very important change has been the emergency department. We've seen prior to the pandemic, a gradual shift of low acuity visits out, out of the ED to urgent care clinics, to physician offices that had extended hours, medical homes. But during the pandemic, we saw that accelerate as well. And we expect to see that uh, a portion of those lower acuity ED visits will remain outside of the ED. Now, part of this is because of alternative care sites and lower costs to the patient. Um, payer steerage also, commercial payer steerage. And another is pilots that are really looking at how do we triage patients better? When, when they call 911, for example, the ET3 CMS pilot looks at how do we triage those patients better, sending them perhaps to an urgent care physician office, or even treating them right there in the home when it's a, a manageable low acuity condition. So those are some of the, the key things that are forever changed. Can you talk about the perceived long-term future for acute care hospitals? So acute care hospitals are not going away. They are very important. I, sometimes you hear that, you know, as things shift to outpatient, we will no longer need acute care hospitals. That's, that's not true. That's entirely false. We will need acute care hospitals, but they are changing. As we see more advances in care that can manage patients either preemptively in the outpatient setting or in a hospital at home or other alternative care site, um, we are seeing what, what is happening is what remains in the hospital is going to be a sicker patient. So over time, we will see a higher proportion of critical care patients in the hospital. We'll also see a higher proportion of tertiary care patients, patients that need tertiary interventions that can only be done at a large tertiary hospital with multi-specialty support. And so what this means for the hospital is that as you see a higher acuity patient, you're likely going to see average length of stay for, for your hospital patients increase over time. Um, you're likely to see lower patient to nurse ratios for this, this patient population, a need perhaps for more critical care beds depending on your um, market and the growth of, of the population and the elderly in particular. And many of these health systems and hospitals in order to address this demand, will be looking at new care models to help decant volumes and also help better manage 
higher acuity patients in the ambulatory setting. And so what I mean by that is we're seeing hospitals now get approved for certification for hospital at home under the CMS pilot. And what this allows them to do is some of those medical patients that need supervision, um, but not necessarily interventions that a hospital provides can be cared for at the home. And so we're seeing more and more hospitals experiment with this idea of taking those low acuity patients and managing them at home through remote monitoring, daily nurse visits. These are the type of care models that will also support this trend in a rising acuity in the hospital. So as we look to the acute care of the hospital, we see that there'll be changes to the facility itself in terms of the distribution of beds, perhaps telemedicine, remote monitoring hubs to support hospital at home programs. There'll also be changes to staffing. Ratios will change as well as the, the skill sets needed um, to manage these patients. And then the third important component is that reimbursement or contribution margins will also change um, in, as, as you see a higher acuity, higher cost patient. Could you share some macro trends and forecasts on procedure shifts to lower cost sites of care outside the hospital? We've been forecasting this shift of surgeries to the hospital outpatient department and the ASC, as well as even the physician office um, for a decade now. And we have gradually seen this occur for different conditions, different service lines over time. Um, so for example, vascular surgeries and gynecologic surgeries shifted to outpatient and even physician office procedure rooms already. We've seen that shift happen. And what we are seeing today is that continued shift into different conditions and different specialties. Um, so orthopedic, joint replacement, primary joint replacement for the knee and hip have been shifting to HOPD and, and now to the ambulatory surgery center in the last five years. Some hospitals um, did this very early on and were leading in this area, um, but it was very uncommon five years ago. It has shifted pretty quickly, especially as primary knee replacement was removed off the inpatient only list. We saw a significant shift after that. But what this means is that we are seeing higher acuity surgeries in these ambulatory settings. And so again, similar to the inpatient setting, we're seeing a higher acuity case mix in many of these ASCs. And what this means is that their patients may have longer length of stay. So you need to change your facility to reflect an increased time in the recovery room. So larger spaces for recovery room food and food services, as well as providing spaces for family members to stay with, with the patients. So the facilities are getting larger. Um, the operating rooms themselves are oftentimes having to change too to configure the new equipment that's needed to do orthopedic or even cardiac procedures. And the staffing is changing. So needing specialized staff to do these types of surgeries. We could get very detailed, even central sterile changes. Lots of things change when you bring in new procedures and new specialties, but 
ASCs that are um, specialized in doing new these new conditions and surgeries are taking off across the country. Private equity is investing a lot in this space as well and developing new AC, ASCs that joint venture with physician practices. What this means, I guess, for the inpatient, what this means for the inpatient setting is that we're seeing a lot of surgical surgeries that were traditionally done inpatient or in the HOPD and outpatient status shifting completely off campus. You know, top of mind for people was the reversal of the elimination of the inpatient only list. And I bring that up because the inpatient only list was recommended to be eliminated last year to allow for health systems and hospitals to determine where surgeries should be performed, which would give a lot of flexibility in doing traditionally inpatient surgeries off campus or in an HOPD. However, that was reversed by the Biden administration, and we've seen uh, a reversion back to focusing on safety criteria to determine where surgeries should be performed. Um, so it's important to point out that while this shift is happening, there's going to be um, judicious use of inpatient um, ORs to, to manage those high-risk patients for, for surgeries that are sometimes done outpatient, as well as high-risk surgeries that require inpatient. Help us to better understand future clinical demand and how changes are critical for planning future resources, workforce, facility, and program development. So healthcare is changing rapidly and the dynamic shifts inside of care that we are experiencing in the last decade really require organizations to be looking at their long-term footprint and making sure they're making the right investments in terms of access points and facilities so that they are providing the right care um, across their market and as well to the high need populations. As organizations look to the future, it's getting a little more complicated because we also have new market entrants that are coming in and disrupting these healthcare channels. So we are seeing more non-traditional vendors and um, providers giving care through virtual, through the web, through, the web, through apps and <clears throat> That has an impact in terms of where those patients are referred to when they need more high acuity specialty care. We are also seeing a lot of mergers, what well, we did recently in the pre-pandemic, a lot of mergers and acquisitions that brought a lot of hospitals together into a health system. And in doing so, those health systems um, really focused on scaling their services and providing care across a market that really um, extended regionally to provide more coordinated ambulatory care. And the goal of this is all really to focus on giving more efficient patient-centered care. So being able to, to do that well, you need to be able to plan for what the future looks like in terms of the types of diseases, in terms of the types of new technologies that are available, in terms of external new market entrants that are coming in, disruptors, um, to be able to better care for uh, your, your patient population. That leads us nicely into the next question, which is how can hospital leaders actually use this moment to make transformative changes for the better? 
some of the weaknesses in our healthcare system. Probably the two biggest weaknesses I think we've seen is one, the inequity in healthcare services and how they're distributed and how access looks very different in different populations and how that has a big impact on health outcomes. And two, pricing, that healthcare pricing over and over, we're seeing that it is discouraging patients from seeking care. We are seeing survey after survey showing an increase in the number of patients delaying care because of price. I think these two things need to be tackled by our health systems and hospitals as well as through policy. But we do need to be able to recognize that price is a quality measure, that patients need to be able to seek care early for preventative services and frequently for disease management services if they're going to have better health outcomes. And so being able to figure out lower cost options that center around patient is gonna be critical to be able to find any success there. The other factor will be as organizations plan for the future, understanding how important it is to deliver equitable care across populations. So one, their health outcomes are better. Two, their costs are better too. Medicare Advantage is, is one of those payment models that's showing improved utilization. So reduction in readmissions, reduction in hospital complications, reduction in total cost of care through doing early preventative care, as well as focusing on those foundational principles around the medical home model um, and improving access. There are some beacons of light out there that we see. Uh, Medicare Advantage has been consistently showing re reduction in cost of care and improved quality uh, in terms of reduction in readmission rate. And the focus will need to be on how do we do this better going forward. Maddie, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners? So in everything I'm talking about, I think it's really important for hospital leaders to understand that we're really at a crux right now in advancing data analytics and being able to um, better understand healthcare landscape, performance, different markets much better. Um, the use of, of more timely data is critical to this ability. And we are seeing here at SU2 the ability to get very recent timely data on performance, on market trends, on national trends, um, which has really helped power our ability to forecast the future better. But this can also be used to make changes in terms of clinical care or strategic planning. And the use of new data analytics, integrating those data analytics between um, different tools is going to become a very powerful tool for hospital leaders to be able to solve some of the problems that I talked about, as well as to better to be able to plan better for the future um, in ways that I talked about in terms of that rapidly changing footprint in terms of what they will need across their market in terms of sites of care. So if you will, the ability to be able to understand the market at a level we've never been able to understand clinical quality, understand growth trends um, in the most recent past will really help our health leaders to be able to make better decisions. Part of this will require new data analytic tools and also more short-term scenario model planning so that you can be more nimble as we see um, these dynamic changes continue in the future. Maddie, it's been so great talking with you. Thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us. 
I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been a pleasure to be part of this. Thank you. And thank you listeners for joining us on the Health Leaders Podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of patients and each other.